Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. It's good to be back. I was gone last week. I, I went with, um, with my brother and my brother-in-law, two of my best friends, uh, on a bow hunting trip for a week. And we did that. We just had this time of just, we laughed and, and joked and had fun. And um, I, you know, I could sit alone in a tree and just be still, not feel guilty about not answering phone calls, not returning texts. Um, and and it, it just is a great time of refreshing. But really, I did miss being here, and I really miss uh, being able to be here to see Patty speak, and, and uh, I got to watch it on YouTube, so I was in my tree stand with the modern <laughs> technology <laughs> watching on YouTube uh, and, and just praying for her and being so blessed and encouraged by it, and what an awesome job she did. And then I actually listened to the message again on the way home yesterday, um, uh, Friday, and uh, I, I just, um, I f- there's something that, that, that that I think is so basic and so simple uh, or, or foundational that we have to get. Um, and, and I've been thinking a lot about just like, because I look at the life of, of, of people that I know that are following Jesus, and I see the, my own life, and, 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 uh, and I think, it's not that hard. But maybe that's not the right word. I think it's not that complicated. To follow. Sometimes it is hard. Like, if, if we're being honest, like, sometimes there's things that we have to do that are not easy. But it's not complicated to follow Jesus. And I think that, that sometimes we complicate things or, or we, we, we miss things because there's, there's something in us uh, maybe that hasn't yielded completely in an area. And that, that's the hardest place to be. And it becomes real complicated because I'm trying to live with a foot in either kingdom sometimes. And I'm trying to live out of knowledge that comes from the world. I'm trying to live through knowledge that comes from Jesus. And, and I've got two voices speaking. And the longer I entertain two voices, the more complicated and confusing it becomes. Because the longer I listen, the more I start to confuse whose voice is whose. And I start to find myself, like, my first response and first reaction sometimes isn't, well, what, what is Jesus saying in this moment? It's sometimes I'm like, well, well, this is what so-and-so said, or this is what feels right, or this is what I want to do. And, and now suddenly the, the water gets a little muddied because I'm no longer single-eyed. I'm no longer hearing a single voice. I no longer have a single purpose in my responses or the way that I live. And, um, and so I've just been thinking about that a lot of what is it that, that makes it not so complicated. And I, I was, it came back to this verse so many times this week while I was sitting out there uh, just praying and, and spending time with the Lord and, and talking. There was two things. I'm excited to preach the other one sometime, but the, it's not now. But it was awesome revelation I'd never seen before. And, and uh, it really blessed me. And I, there's something in that that I know God has a message for us at some point, but, but not this week. But um, in Romans chapter 12, if you open up your uh, Bibles, and we've talked about this before, but I, I just feel like we really need to to understand this and break this down because it's really the way to live. It's really what makes things not complicated. It's really what, what allows us to actually live the life that we were created to live. You realize that you were never created to live a life following anything other than Jesus. You were never meant to live apart from the presence of God. 
You can find it in the beginning. You can find it in, the, in, in Genesis. You can see in Genesis God's heart for you and for me. His heart for mankind. What was it? It was to dwell among men. And it was to be with them. And it was to be their God. And it was to have relationship with them. And it was to walk with them and talk with them. And never, ever has God changed His desire for humanity. And sin comes, things get weird, complicated, you know, man gets self-conscious and all the things that happen and, and hides and, and covers and, you know, fig leaves and all that stuff. But in the end, the heart of God is revealed when he responds to Adam and Eve in the garden and says, listen, this is going to happen, there will be consequence, but I'm sending someone and when he comes, he'll restore all things. And Jesus came and he said, he said I came to make all things new. I came to make all things new. And so... So, um, so if, if really all things have been made new by him, if everything has been restored, if Jesus really finished everything, if everything was, was taken care of by Jesus on the cross, if everything was accomplished, if it really is finished by Jesus on the cross, then that means that every ac- we have every access to God that we've ever had, and his heart's desire for us is still the same heart's desire he's always had. And there's nothing keeping us from living the life we were created to, to live. Nothing. Like Patty said last week, there's nothing that any of the people that you look up to in the faith have that you don't have access to. They may be walking in things you're not walking in, but it's not because they have access to something that you don't have access to. It's just like, like, listen, you can be in physical, good physical shape if you want to be. Some people, they love working out. Some people hate it, right? But the truth of the matter is, is everybody can do it. Some people love to read. Some people, it's a struggle. But you can open the Word and you can find Him in the Word every single day. It may be easier, more natural for some people. For some people, prayer is just this thing where, like, my wife can pray for hours and hours. I pray for 15 minutes and I'm out. I'm like, ah, I start repeating stuff, you know? And then I'll think of something and pray. But honestly, like, for me to sit and pray for hours actually is a discipline. For Patty to do it, it's an inconvenience for someone to interrupt. We're wired differently, but we all can and all have access to the same things. It's just, are we willing to actually pay the price and go after them? Are we willing to say that this is more important than anything else that I want? That God, if you value this, then I'm going to value this, even if naturally I'm not drawn to this. Because the more I become, it's just like eating healthy. The healthier you eat, the more you want to eat healthy. And you actually find yourself craving different things. You develop an appetite for whatever you consistently give yourself. I promise you, you develop an appetite for whatever you consistently give yourself. Consistently give yourself to spending time with him, and suddenly you'll find yourself where you're in those times where you feel like you just have to get alone with him because you feel like you're dying without it. Give yourself to praying, and you'll find yourself more and more having an appetite to pray. And even if it's not long prayers, even if it's just when something happens, my immediate response is just to immediately turn to him and pray about it. And suddenly you start developing an appetite. Start reading the word, but not just so that you can know the word, so that you can know him. Actually open the Bible and say, God, I want to know you. I want to, I want to learn. I want to see who you are because when I see Jesus, I see who I was created to be because he's the firstborn of many brethren. This is in your Bible. He's the firstborn, but not the lastborn. He's the firstborn of many brethren, meaning what? That he was the first. He was the prototype, the model, and the example. Consider Jesus our example. He said to the disciples, he said, I've done these things to give you an example. What is an example for? It's to show me what my life should look like. 
And it's not so that I can live frustrated and say, I know my life should look like this, but it looks like that, because God's not a father who wants to frustrate us. He told us as earthly fathers not to frustrate our children. I promise you, he's a better father than you and I. And if his heart is for us not to frustrate our children, his heart is never to frustrate his. So if Jesus is our example, then that means there's a way of living where I can actually live like the one who I'm following. And so if I'm not, then I have to ask myself, okay, and here's where we've got to be really honest with ourselves and be really careful. Because we can get to a place where we look around and, and we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm doing better than and fill in the blank with the people around you that you compare yourself to. You know, Paul says not to compare ourselves among ourselves. He says when we do that, it causes harm. And it can go both ways. Right? Because you can say, well, I'm doing pretty good because I'm doing better than fill in the blank. But you can also look around at people and allow frustration to come into your life by saying, I'm doing this. Why aren't they? And now all of a sudden you're comparing yourself to other people, but not in the way of making yourself feel better, but in the way of passing judgment on other people. That's just a side note for someone who needs to hear that. Listen to me. I'm telling you right now. That never find yourself in the place of comparing yourself to other people, either to make yourself feel better or to make other people feel smaller. Because you may be called to things that they're not called to. You may be in a different season of your life, and God may be speaking different things to you than He's speaking to them. And if everybody would just have one standard, one standard only, and that's this, obedience. At the end of the day, my standard is Jesus. Was I obedient to walk in what Jesus called me to walk in today? If I did, it doesn't matter what everybody else did or didn't do. I can stand before him at the end of the day and say, I was obedient to what you asked me to do today. And that's the standard. And it doesn't matter what everybody else did or didn't do. If I can stand before him clear-eyed and say that, then I've walked that day the way he created me to walk. So, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is this, this verse. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he gives us a contrasting statement here. He says, don't be conformed, be transformed. In other words, he's laying out that, there, that there's two different ways that you can go in life. There's two different things. That, there's two different ways that you can live your life. You can either be conformed by this world or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's one or the other. And that word conformed there, when I was looking at it in the original language, it's suske matizo. It means fashion alike or conform to the same pattern. In other words, it, it means it makes you look like something, but it doesn't actually change who you are. You're being conformed. When, when you're being molded, and, and, and something's being, like if you take clay, I do pottery, and, and so I, I understand this. If I take a piece of clay and I have a mold, and I conform that piece of clay to that mold. I take it, and I shove it into the mold, and I press it, pressure it, pressure it, pressure it. Eventually, that piece of clay begins to look like the mold that I'm pressing it into. And if I take 50 pieces of clay, and I press every single one of them into the same mold, I've now fashioned all these pieces of clay alike, but I have not changed what they are. They look like something, but nothing's actually changed because I can take that clay and I can press it into a different form and I can change the way it looks there. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, will be fashioned by this world 
And you find yourself being pressed into different molds. And you may find yourself even being pressed into different molds depending on where you are or who you're around. So when I'm around these people, I look like this and I'm conformed by this. But when I'm around these people, I'm conformed by this and I'm pressed by this. And suddenly you don't even remember who you really are because you've been pressed and shaped into so many different molds that you don't even remember what the real thing is supposed to be. That's the word that, that he uses here. Don't be conformed. Don't be fashioned all alike. You realize the world wants to make every single person the same. It'll look different for different people. But there's one thing that, the, that has in common and the goal of this world that it wants to pressure you into is to make you selfish. You understand? The, 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 the kingdom of this world is set up to make you selfish. It's, it's why... Everywhere you look, there's comparisons to let you know what you could have, but you don't. So that you begin to think, I need that, I deserve that, I should have that. And you begin to think selfishly, and then pretty soon you're making choices that are not based on what Jesus said, that are not based on the Word, they're based on what I want, because I've been sold a lie by the world that there's something that I lack, that if I had it, I would have peace, I would have happiness, I would have joy. And then I get on, on social media, here I go again, right, social media, but I get on social media and I see everybody else's perfect life. And all I want is for someone to come along and just press me into the same mold that they press that person into because I love the way that person looks with no idea of what it actually feels like for that person to be pressed into that mold. All I see is the highlight film. All I see is when they get pulled out of that mold and I get a rare glimpse of them in so-called perfection. Meanwhile, there's thumbprints in the back of it from it being pushed and pressed into something it was never meant to be. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, don't be conformed. Jesus said this, right? In, in John 16, chapter 33. I mean, cha- chapter 16, verse 33. He said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. That word tribulation there comes from the Greek word ellipsis, which means pressure. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you have, may have peace. He's saying, listen, there's a peace that you can have, and I'm telling you these things so that you have them in me. Not so that you have a lack of reasons that you could lose your peace in the world. He's not saying, I'm, I'm going to go around and make sure that nothing ever happens that's an opportunity for you to live less than peaceful. He's saying, I'm telling you these things so that in me, in Christ, in relationship with me, walking with me, in me you can have peace. In the world you face pressure. What's he saying? Listen, the world is going to put pressure on you and try its best to press you into a mold, to fashion you alike, to make you look like everybody else, to make you conform. Conform. It makes you, it wants to take you and press you into this mold and make you look like every other person that's ever existed. That's what the world wants to do. And it doesn't care what it takes to get you there. Some people's mold looks different than other people's molds, but I promise you it wants to press you into something and make everybody alike. It wants to make every single person hurt, offended, and bitter, thinking for themselves and unable to take their eyes off of themselves for long enough to see a world around them that needs to know Jesus and make you so busy thinking about you that you can't even think about other people. But then Jesus said, for the, for the one who among you who wants to be greatest must become the least for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many 
This is Jesus. See, all of a sudden, we're start, we start seeing, when you start comparing what it looks like to be pressed and to be conformed by the world, and then you look at what, what it looks like to be transformed by renewing our mind, by starting to think differently, by actually considering Jesus, our example in all things, the firstborn of many brethren. Listen, you get that into your head and you realize, I was born to look like my big brother. That's why you were born again. You were born the first time into Adam. He wants you to look like Cain. You're born the second time into the second Adam. Wants you to look like Jesus. You have a brother on both sides that the world wants to try to shape you or that God is trying to shape you into. And the only thing that makes the difference into which one you become like is the one that you actually yield your thoughts and your mind and your life to. That's it. You're, you're a raw piece of clay. You can give yourself to the world and let it shape you and mold you. And so many people do and they don't even realize that they are. And you feel like, and sometimes you have these things that feel like success and feel like winning. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, but you don't realize that in the process of that, you've lost something. Because even though you look like something for a moment, nothing's actually been changed. So religion is. Like, not true religion that James talks about, but actually just like any kind of religion and legalism and liberalism and all these different things. They don't actually change who I am. They just change the way that I look. You take that piece of clay and shove it into a mold and you change the way it looks, but you haven't changed the clay. It's still clay. And if you pull it out of that mold, you can press it into another mold and make it look differently. There's nothing transformational about being conformed. You simply look like whatever the world is pressing you into in the moment, but nothing's actually changed. You haven't changed. So even if it's a good thing, right? Even if you're being conformed into the people around you because the people around me are going after Jesus, the people around me are praying, the people are worshiping, they're celebrating during worship, and so I'm around them and I'm being conformed so that I look like them. If my life isn't actually being changed, it's of zero value. Zero. Because there's nothing that's been transformed. I'm still the same person that I was. I just look differently for a time. The problem is if there's not true change and transformation, eventually I'll start looking like something else. It just depends on what I'm around at the time. And I'll become a product of my environment rather than a product of His will. Come on, I'm telling you this stuff. It's not complicated. It's, it's, it, it really is not complicated. It's not easy all the time, but it's not complicated. The gospel is simple. So Jesus said, listen, I'm telling you these things. In the world, you have pressure, but take courage. I've overcome the world. What's he saying? Everything that would try to press you into something that's not my will for you, I've already overcome, and there's a place in me that you can stand against it and be victorious. How? Right here. This is the secret. I feel like that, that, is, that is so transformational. I mean, it is transformation, but if we get a hold of this thing and actually allow this to happen and yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and see this happen in our lives, we will never, ever be the same. So he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform there is metamorpho, which is where we get metamorphosis. It actually means to change, transfigure, and transform. This is not to be confused with being conformed. Conformed has nothing to do with change. It has everything to do with look. It has nothing to do with the clay being changed. It has everything to do with the clay looking differently. And there's no real change, 
But with metamorphosis, with metamorpho, the original word there, it actually means to change. It means something actually changes. I don't just look different, I am different. We get this word metamorphosis, that's what we say a caterpillar goes through and it becomes a butterfly. Think about it, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and it comes out a butterfly. And you never look at a butterfly and say, wow, that's a beautiful caterpillar because it's no longer a caterpillar because it's actually been changed. It's been transformed. It's been metamorphosized into something that it wasn't. And that's what happens to us when we actually have our minds renewed and we become transformed by it. It actually changes not just what we think about and not just the way that we look, it changes us. When you got born again, something happened. You're no longer who you were. You can't climb back into that cocoon and become a caterpillar again. You could sit on a branch and wrap yourself with your wings and try to hang upside down and act like a caterpillar, but you're not a caterpillar anymore because everything passed away and all things became new. And the worst that you could do now is try to act like something that you're not because you've actually been changed. And here's the most miserable people in the world. I promise you the most miserable people in the world are people who have gone through the process of being born again but aren't actually living with a renewed mind and there's no transformation. So their life looks like it did before they became born again. And now they know there's something better that is available to them. And they know the things that they should be doing that they've been called to do. And they see it in the Word and they see it in the people around them but there's nothing changing in their life because they're not actually being transformed by their mind being renewed. It doesn't say be transformed by your mind being educated. You can learn and you can understand and you can say things, but if it's not actually changing the way that you think, which then leads to changing the way that you act, it does nothing for you. That's when transformation becomes real, when it stops being a theory and actually becomes the thing that I yield myself to. I find myself in the Word. So what does that look like? Like, like think about this, right? In Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it's the way of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the way of truth leads to life. The way that seems right to a man leads to death. And there's a very clear dichotomy made in the word between which one we're supposed to actually give ourselves to. So if everything besides Jesus leads to death because he is the way, the truth, and the life, if everything besides the gospel leads to death, then that means every single situation I find myself for, my response, my belief, the way that I live should be dictated by what I find in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what I find in his life. And if I can't find it in his life, I should never find it in mine. I should never give it permission in mind. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did, and I don't mean that insensitively. I'm saying it doesn't matter what they did because what he did is greater. And I promise you, you can exchange stories back and forth all that, all that you want. Go find Jesus and exchange your story with him and see if your story holds up to the light of his and then consider his response in light of everything that he went through. And if you can find somewhere in his life that, that he responded the way that you are, then you can completely justify responding that way in your own life. But if you can't, then you need to renew your mind and be transformed so that the things that you can't find in his life are things you can't find in yours. That's where transformation happens. We actually find ourselves in the Word. It says in James, um, let me read this so I don't get too far out there. Actually, first, before we go to James, First uh, John 2 says, by this we know we're in him. Okay, here's, you, you want to know if you're in him. Remember Jesus? In this life, I've told you these things so that you would have peace in me. 
Well, how do I know if I'm in him? Here's a real good explanation. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. So that means that I owe it to myself, to Jesus, and to the world around me to discover how did he walk? And I've got to come to a place where maybe I say, I've been taught things that are not true, that seem right, that feel right, and that people will agree with and amen me with all day long, but they're not the gospel. And I need to actually learn how to live again because I spent the first part of my life learning from a system that was set up to lead me to death. And now I've got a new king. I'm part of a new kingdom. And there's someone else that sits on the throne. I sat on the throne before. I was the most important person in every conversation, in every scenario, and in every position I found myself in. I was the most important person. What I wanted, what I desired, what I felt like, that was what ruled. And suddenly I became born again and realized I was never made to sit on that throne. I was worshiping myself. My life was about me. I was my God. And suddenly I get born again and I realize I was never meant to sit on that throne. There's one who sits on that throne and his name is Jesus. And now suddenly my life is no longer my own. It belongs to him. So I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow him every single day. And what does that mean? It means I'm no longer the most important person in the conversation, in the scenario. My feelings are secondary to truth. Come on, I'm telling you. I, listen, we can, we, can, you, we can not like it. Because there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. Notice that thing that feels good might be leading you to death. Come on, we go hunting. We play on the fact that there's something that the male animal at this time of year wants. And him following that, that desire, him following that feeling leads him to death sometimes. And he can stand there and say, well, this is just the way I was made and be right and be dead. Come on, sometime you have to uh, come to an understanding that maybe some of the things that you were created with, that the way that you were made isn't right. And maybe someone should love you enough to at some point tell you, look, I don't care if you were born that way. It's not okay. This is why we can't take the argument, you know, where people say, well, I was just born this way and then justify a sin. Because I promise you this, when my little son was in a nursery and a little two-year-old kid that nobody taught to be a cannibal bit him on the cheek and left prints and drew blood, somebody had to tell that kid, you can't do that. Nobody said, well, he's just a biter, that's the way he was born. Nobody. Nobody said, Well, obviously, that's the way God wants him to be because he did that without anybody teaching him that. So that must be the way God created him. No, no, no. That's not the way that God created him. That's the way the fall of man shaped him and fashioned him and conformed him because he was born into sin. He was born into Adam. That's why that little kid has to be born again into the second Adam, into Christ. And somebody should love him enough for the sake of everyone around him, but for his own sake to say, that's not okay. That's not okay. Why? Wow, it doesn't have to be his parents. It could be a teacher in the class. It doesn't matter. It just has to be someone around him that loves him enough to say something to him. 
And that's why sometimes we have to be people around people that love them enough to say something to them. Not that we're going around looking to point out sin. It's that we're actually looking to see what's right. And when we see something that doesn't line up with the example of Christ, we understand not for our own sake, not because I have a need to set you straight, not because I want to prove a point to you, but because I know this, the way that seems right to a man leads to death. I have to love you enough to say the way you're going isn't right. Not because I want to be right, because I don't want you to die. Because something's dying if you're following something other than the gospel. And you may not see it immediately, but I promise you, every time we make a decision contrary to the gospel of Jesus, we're following a path that leads to something dying. Come on, are you all awake this morning? All right, is this one of those ones where you're listening really well, or is this one of those ones where you get lost? Because sometimes I get confused which is which. Think about it. Think about how foolish it would be if somebody sat that little two-year-old child down and said, well, you know, most people are born not biting. But you were born to bite. It's obvious this is the way God wanted you to be because nobody had to teach you to bite. You were born that way. And so for everybody else, it's not okay. But for you, it's okay. Because you didn't learn that. You were born that way. That sounds really silly. Sounds really silly when we sit with adults and we justify things that they're doing that we can't find in the gospel of Christ because that's just the way they were made. Come on. Come on, this challenges me. Because in me, I want to argue. In me, I want to prove something. In me, I want to defend. That's the way I was born. Maybe that's why I had to be born again. And maybe that's why in every situation, I have to yield myself to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me into all truth rather than doing what feels right, feels good, or comes naturally. I'm telling, listen, if you've never actually considered the thought, if you've never considered the fact that maybe the way that I live has been more fashioned by something other than the gospel, and I need to actually examine the way that I live, the way that I respond, and the way that I treat people in light of the gospel, I would suggest starting right now. I'll give you just, a, just an easy example of what this looks like. Because, you know, you hear, well, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And sometimes we think like, well, what does that, what does that mean? Like, okay, cool. I don't want to be conformed to the world. I get that. I don't want to follow the world system. I don't want to follow the way that seems right to a man. I don't. But what does it look like to be transformed by the renewing of my mind? It looks like this. James says in, in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. 
He's saying, listen, when I look into the Word, I look into a mirror. It's like looking into a mirror. I see who I am. When I see Jesus, when I find His response, when I see the Bible say a kind word turns away wrath, I see what kind of person I was meant to be. I'm the kind of person that's supposed to have a kind word when I'm faced with wrath. If I walk away and I forget that and I don't respond based on what I saw in the Word, but I respond based on anything other than that, I'm like a man who completely forgets who I am in that moment. And now I'm a hearer of the Word because I heard what God said, but I'm not an effectual doer. There's no blessing in that. There's no transformation in that. And nothing's being renewed. And I can quote when I'm not facing wrath that a kind word turns away wrath. That's the danger of simply seeing it, but not actually letting it become who I am. And I promise you it will feel weird at first. It won't feel natural because you've had years of following the pattern of this world and being fashioned by this world to feel natural and to feel normal. I promise you there will be times that some things will just come natural to you. When you get born again, it's weird. It's so crazy how for some people things just change differently and for other people it's like, no, I, I still have to every single day focus on this. I, have to, it, I don't know why. I wish I did. I don't understand why that is. But I promise you there will be some things that just come so naturally to you and there will be some things that you actually have to think about and focus on and say, I will do this today. And you have to actually walk in discipline in that thing until it becomes natural and it becomes who you are. And sometimes the longer you've given yourself to something, the longer it will take. It just is the way it works sometimes. You've given yourself to something, it's become so much a part of who you are. Yeah, God can take it in an instant, and sometimes He does. But sometimes there's this process of renewing your mind and every single day having to choose to walk by what He says is true rather than what you feel. It's just the way it is. I don't know why. But so I, I look into the Word and I see who I am. I see myself in the Word. I see Jesus and I see who I was created to be because He's the firstborn of many brethren. So He's my brother. He's the one I'm created in the image and likeness of when I'm born again. And now that's my life. That's who I'm supposed to look like. So when I find Jesus, I find what my response should look like and I abandon anything that I can't find in Him. That might mean my whole way of living and relating to people has to change. That might mean that I have to go to people that I've related to in a less than Jesus way and say, you know what, I am sorry. I've done this. I had to do this recently with my brother. I said, you know what, I did this and I realized I used to do that and I'm sorry. And he said, well, I forgave you a long time ago. But I realized I, I used to do something to get a certain response or, or, or to try to get something that I wanted. And, I, and, I, and it was so much a part of who I was that I didn't even think about it and I didn't actively renew my mind against it and I would just do this. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's not Christ-like. Now I've got to change the way that I think because of what I've seen. And I've got to allow that to actually transform my life. I can't just be a hearer and not a doer. Why? Because if I know something and it is actually renewing the way that I think, a renewed mind, listen, the proof of a renewed mind is transformation and the proof of transformation is fruit. If I want to know if I'm being transformed by my mind being renewed, I can look at the fruit of my life and honestly assess, am I being changed by this gospel? 
And here's the thing. You can be being changed in one area of the gospel and have another area that of your life that you leave off limits to the gospel. It's your little pet area and you don't let anyone touch it and you don't let the gospel touch it because there's hurt there, there's wound there, there's pride there. Whatever the case is, you can do that. You can actually compartmentalize the gospel and you can submit a part of your life to the gospel. You can submit a majority of your life to the gospel and have one part of your life that you just keep for yourself and that's your little place and no one can touch that. And anytime someone tries to touch it, you flare up because you're defending something, because there's hurt there, because there's pride there, or because it's just too painful to confront that thing right now. I promise you Jesus will just keep pushing and poking and prodding and putting his finger on it because he wants to transform every single area of your life. Why does this keep happening to me? Maybe because he's sick of it happening to you. And he wants you to actually deal with it once for all. Why does it seem like this keeps happening? I asked myself the reason. I'm like, why? there's a certain thing that, that happened to me like three times in the course of, and I'm like, what, what is it? And I had to be honest enough with myself to say, okay, maybe it's me. Because pride would say it's everybody else. But maybe it's me. Maybe it's me and them. But I can only control me. Maybe there's two broken people. Maybe there's two people with an area of their life that's broken. And when those two broken areas come together, sparks fly. Maybe the only thing I can change is by submitting that part of my life to the gospel and actually living the way Christ called me to. And then if they never change, that's okay because I'm okay because I've been changed by the gospel. And and here's the thing. If I'll do that, then every single time we come into contact with each other, instead of sparks flying and both of us solidifying who we were before we came in, they see another way. Because this last part of this verse says this. I'm skipping so much in here. Maybe we'll come back to this next week or something. He says, that so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. When I yield my life to the Lordship of Jesus, I position myself to prove the will of God. And not just for other people, but for me first. Because when I actually, like, think about this. Okay, so, so here's an example of what this looks like. I go in the Word, right? And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I realize this, that I'm no longer the most important person. I begin to think of how I can help others. Because I read this. I see Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. It says, calling them to Himself, He said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not this way among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom of many. So I open the Word, I look in the Word, and I see Jesus, and now I see who I'm supposed to be. That has to actually transform the way that I think. And it has to actually change the way that I think so that the next time I find myself in a position, I actually can lay my life down and I do it joyfully. Why would I do it joyfully? Why would I joyfully lay my life down? Why would I joyfully wash feet? Why would I joyfully take the low road? Why would I joyfully take the position of the least? Why would I do any of that with joy? Well, because earlier I read this. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So I'm confident in knowing that the fullest joy there is for me to walk in is by submitting myself to the commands of Jesus. And if he commanded me to lay my life down, then I can say, I'll gladly do this. And I understand that on the other side of me laying down my life, there's joy. Why? Because he said following his commands makes my joy full. So this is what it looks like to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think differently because now I see my life when I look into the Word. And so I respond that way. And trust me, it may not come naturally the first time when you lay your life down instead of taking the position, especially when you feel like you're right. It may go against everything you've known up to this point. That's okay. You're not who you were. I promise you the first time a butterfly stands on a branch and jumps and spreads its wings and fly, it's completely unnatural for it and it's probably a little bit scary because its whole life it's crawled around on its belly. But the more you do it, the more you start to realize I'm not who I was. And suddenly it becomes as natural to fly as it was to crawl. But there's going to be a first time there's going to be a first time where you know what the Word of God says, where you know what the Gospel says, where you know what the Spirit of God is leading you into, and you know what feels right, what seems right, what sounds right, what's worked your whole life. Because some of these things work in the kingdom of this world. And you have to take what Jesus said, and you have to say, I'm going to choose to live by this, even though everything else is saying that. That's walking by faith. And so the word says, says the just will live by faith. It means at some point I have to have faith. At some point I have to stand on the edge of a branch and go, look, my whole life I've crawled, but you're saying that I'm not the uh, caterpillar anymore. You've called me to be a butterfly, so here I go. And I jump, and I spread my wings, and I start to beat them. And pretty soon I realize I'm flying. And pretty soon this thing that feels so weird and so unnatural and so scary becomes something that's so much a part of who I am that I don't even have to think about it anymore. I'm just standing on a branch and I want to be over there, so I spread my wings and I fly. And none of the thoughts that I have to fight with the first time go through my head. And the second time, it's easier. And the third time, and this is how we are actually transformed. You're changed. Who you are is changed because you become a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And it begins to change who you are. And suddenly, the things that you had an appetite for, you no longer have an appetite for because you've tasted of something better. Because you've got a new king and a new kingdom. And you've got a new way of living. And now everything really is passing away. And all things are becoming new. That's what it looks like to be transformed. It's to find myself. That's why you have to be in the Word. It's not so that you can quote it. It's so that it can change you. So that you can actually have your life transformed so that you look like Jesus and you act like Jesus. Not because you were pressed into a Jesus mold, but because you were changed into the image of His Son. That's the life of the Christian. That's what it is to be born again. That's what's not complicated, but is not easy all the time. I promise you. It's not hard. If I find myself in a situation, I can seek Him out in the Word and say, Jesus, what was your response when you faced this? So He said, bless those that curse you. So someone curses you, what's the response of the redeemed? It's to bless them. God, I pray that You would bless them. Listen, we just dealt with this and it was such a beautiful picture of it. My son was getting bullied at school by a kid. I'll just close out with this. There's kind of a story of what this looks like, but my son was being bullied by a kid at school. And this kid was calling him names and, you know, just saying really hateful things and talking to other students about him and calling him names to other students. And, 
you know, as a father, I'm just like, hmm. I'll grab a sixth grader. <laughs> you know, because there was a time when I lived in that kingdom and that worked for me. Obviously, I can't go grab a sixth grader. I'll end up in jail and Patty will be preaching every Sunday. But, <laughs> but you know, that thing in you rises up. And I was talking about it. Um, we were on our way home from the hunting trip and we were talking about it. And, and the various responses came up. And, and I said, obviously, you know, I can't. I just want to go to that school. And I want to grab that kid by his shirt and say, you listen to me. <laughs> but, but there's this thing that keeps me from doing that. And it's not afraid of going to jail and it's not any of that stuff. It's that that's not what Jesus would do. And so even in a moment where my protective nature as a dad wants to rise up and lead me into something that would feel good in the moment, there's something that keeps me from that, and that's that my mind is renewed to the fact that that's not what Jesus would do in that same situation. So we were just discussing this, and I get a text, and it's from Patty. And she said, uh, I prayed with him this morning that he would forgive and be loving even when people treat him badly. I reminded him that you never know what the boy deals with at home or in his past. Truly happy don't, people don't treat others badly. So I feel sorry for the kid too. And it's not because Patty doesn't have a protective nature. It's not because there's not a mama bear that wants to rise up in her and go to school and defend her son. It's because that's not the response that Jesus left us an example of. And so that's not okay for me. No matter how good it would feel in the moment, no matter what the world would say, no matter what people who aren't born again would say, no matter what anything else would say, what would Jesus say about what I do in that moment? And if He really matters, if He really is King, if He really is Lord, then that's the only thing that matters. And my response has to be dictated by Him, not by anything else. Listen, that's not always easy. but it's actual freedom. It's actually freeing to be able to walk away from a situation and know that I just manifested the character and nature of Jesus. And it proved to myself and to anybody watching what the will of God is, what's perfect, what's good, and what's acceptable. And whether that person agrees or not, whether that kid ever changes that Jackson can see, he can go to bed at night and hear the voice of the Father say, well done, Jackson. Well done. Because your, your obedience doesn't guarantee those people will change. And if you make whether or not it was worth it by people's response, you've already lost. Because now you're measuring your success on something other than obedience. And if you measure success in the kingdom on anything other than obedience, you're going to miss it every single time. Because you were never called to results. You were only called to obedience. Because you can sow, you can water, but God brings increase. God changes hearts. Man, there's so much more I want to get into. Maybe next week we'll talk about just, there's such a fun side of this because there's a truth that when we do this, we actually manifest the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught his disciples, he said, pray this way. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can actually bring the kingdom of heaven, the reign and the rule of Jesus into a situation and release what the kingdom of heaven looks like into that situation and make it attractive to other people 
And it also creates an appetite in us because it's like, okay, God, I see the result of following you in this area. I want to follow you in every area. I've seen your goodness. It's like God just keeps attracting us in and inviting us in. It's like, oh, you tasted of my goodness in this area. Would you just let me into every area of your life? You'll see how good I am in that area. And suddenly it becomes addictive and I start to go through my life and inventory things and the last thing that I want is anything that's not surrendered to the rule and reign of Jesus because I've seen His goodness everywhere I've turned. And then when I have that, what I have, I give. Now I'm empowered to bring the presence of Jesus into every situation. The actual presence of Jesus into every situation. The kingdom of heaven into every situation because I can respond according to the good and perfect and acceptable will of God in every situation I find myself in. God, I just thank You for that. I I ask that we would seek You out and find You so that we find ourselves in Your Word. God, that we would be people, not in a self-condemning way, God, but in a way that says, I know you have better, so anything that's not you, help me get rid of. Just pray that right now over yourself. Just pray, God, I know you have better. Just come on, say it out loud. God, I know you have better. So show me anything that's not you. I thank You, Lord, that we would see Jesus, we would see ourselves, and then we would live according to His truth, not according to anything else. I just thank You for the grace on our lives to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.